Welcome, welcome. Nice to be back with you all. So we are, uh, we're going to meet today and then next Friday, and then we break for the Christmas break and the new year. And, uh, and I don't recall the date exactly when we begin, but it's the middle of January. So uh, I'll try to get that date and give it to you next Friday. And uh, also be looking in life together for that because that will be in there as well. Uh, today, uh, we're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer in, in, a, in some detail today and next Friday. So this handout will be good for today and next Friday. So uh, if you think about it, bring it along. I'll have more copies next week too. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's, it's foundational. It's a central part of the church's life. And um, it's, it's, it's a succinct prayer, as you know. Uh, you've probably been in studies uh, concerning the Lord's Prayer before. But it's, it's one of these things where uh, prayer is, uh, should be an easy thing, but it is often complicated in, in the way we approach it or the way we think about it. Uh, sometimes... You see this in, in greater Christian circles where, uh, you know, some expressions of Christianity uh, tend to speak uh, a little bit negatively about rote uh, forms of prayer um, because they say that it just becomes repetitive and, you know, you become mindless about it. But uh, a fixed prayer, a form... Uh, helps guide us into prayer. Uh, it, it guides our hearts and our minds. And so, you know, if you take a look here, I have a little quote at the beginning of the handout from Martin Chemnitz, who Martin Chemnitz followed Martin Luther, and uh, he was responsible for, uh, partially responsible for the Book of Concord uh, that we have in our Lutheran Confessions. And he says, we, by our prayers, cannot stir up God and put him in mind of his duty. We do not pray to show he is negligent and careless of our affairs. We do not view God as being hard and merciless or try to allure him by our prayers in order to change his mind. We know indeed that he is ready of his own will to give good things, especially to those who repent and humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, those who by faith do seek, knock, and ask. So thinking about the Lord's Prayer, it's something that we say often, you know, uh, this, on Friday mornings. We say it in the, in the morning prayers. We say it at the morning Eucharist. We always say the Lord's Prayer in a divine service. And it's central to us. But, you know, th think about what, what, what is going on in the Lord's Prayer. Um, praying itself can be a struggle. And I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, we tend, this is my thoughts, this, I'll speak of myself. You know, I often pray the same things over and over. And I... You know, every once in a while, my prayers vary, but it's often kind of the same. You know, I'm thinking about the church and my family. I'm thinking about the world. Uh, you know, I pray for people that are ill. Um, but do you, so this is a question for you. Do you ever feel like, well, I'm saying the same thing over and over. He already knows. And so what's the human tendency? Stop yeah, stop praying because, well, he already knows. And I've said it a hundred times. So I'm just, I'm tired of saying it. He's probably tired of hearing it. So I'm just going to move on. Do you ever feel that way? You know, I, we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't feel that way. Uh, and maybe if you're more pious than I, you're like, 
yeah, I never feel that way. <laughs> What's wrong with our pastor? <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes I think even with the Lord's Prayer, because we say it so often, maybe sometimes we feel that way, and so our tendency is to skip it. And my encouragement to you is don't skip it, because there's so much in this prayer. And so if you want to take a look, there's, we'll jump around a little bit uh, in the scriptures today, but take a look first at Matthew 7, verse 7. And this is, uh, it starts at verse 7 and goes through verse 11. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So that's a really good rationale coming right after the Lord's Prayer here within the Sermon on the Mount to ask, to keep praying, keep doing it, keep at it, keep saying your prayers, keep saying the Lord's Prayer. And then go to Hebrews 4, verse 16. And actually, we could back up to verse 14 just to get a little bit of context here. Since then, so this is Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So implied in those words is the sense of going to the throne of grace in prayer, in petition, right? Asking for things, asking for the Lord's care, asking for him to help us. And we draw in with confidence. We draw in with confidence because we know that the Lord hears us and that he acts. And I've talked about this before, but God's slowness, the slowness of God can be a difficult thing in the midst of a prayer life because we pray and we pray and we pray, but then we wait and we wait and we wait often. And that can be hard because we like, you know, when we pray, it's on our mind, it's on our heart. Uh, we're, we're emotional about it. And so we're asking for God to help us. And so in that slowness, we can sometimes grow weary in our prayer life, but it's important to just keep at it, and that's my point. Uh, then go to James 1, and we'll look, let's see here. So we could back up to verse 12 to get a little bit of the context for this. So James 1, verse 12 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So if you just think about this text a little bit, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So that's part of the waiting. You're living your life, you're living your life of faith, you're saying your prayers, you're listening to the word of God, but there's trouble or a need. We have a need. And it is in that, because of that need that we are to remain steadfast under trial. So remain steadfast in the waiting. And then it goes on. So, so you know, part of a prayer life and the Lord's Prayer is one of perspective or the direction of the heart. So part of what happens in a life of prayer is we are continually being directed towards the face of, of God, and we're looking to him. If we stop praying, then our gaze comes down, and when our gaze comes down, then eventually we're just looking at what is around us, and that can cause despair, uh, but then we also eventually could lose the sense that it is God who will act for us, and we start to think, well, I have to act. And then when I try to act, if things don't work out the right way, then I can despair. And so then this becomes a snowball effect. And so in this verse here in verse 15, or verse 14 and then 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Um, you know, desire doesn't have to be just lust. It can be uh, a, a wanting to fix things and to do things our own way, um, according to our own heart. And then we can get a different conclusion that way. So he says in verse 15, desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So a life that, that falters in prayer, falters from prayer, um, can then start to spiral out of control. So what I'm going to eventually lead you to in this study today and next Friday is that the Lord's Prayer shows us directions. It gives us the direction of, of one's spiritual life. Now go to James chapter 3. So here's something interesting. And you can see this like if you look at the Lutheran Study Bible has dates for the writings of the different books. Um, it's thought, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but I actually had not really paid attention to it, but uh, Dr. David Scare from the Fort Wayne Seminary, he once upon a time wrote a little commentary on James, and it's a good little commentary. And in it, at the very beginning, he points out that James was the first New Testament book written. Isn't that interesting? Um, I, I guess I had just not thought about it quite like that. But it, you know, James was, he thinks James was written first and then maybe Matthew. But his contention, which I think is, is worthy of, of attention, is that James parallels the Gospel of Matthew very closely. The themes are very similar. And so, you know, there's this Hebrew swirl. So the difference between Paul is very linear. So James writes before Paul does. And so 
James, Paul is very linear in his thinking, right? Just bump and a bump and a bump. But James is very like back and forth in terms of theme. And then Matthew too, back and forth, back and forth. And Matthew was written, we think, for Jewish converts. And so you have this going on. So Jesus, his Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew. And James is playing with some of the themes from the Sermon on the Mount in his epistle. Okay, so the Lord's Prayer is within the Sermon on the Mount. So then you get to James chapter 3. So we're, we're looking at prayer and how we use words. So let's go to James chapter 3 and let's just read this. And when we read this, think about the Lord's Prayer. So James chapter 3 starts off in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so that's James 3. Now, think about this in terms of the Lord's Prayer and the tongue and what comes out of, of everyone. So you think here, especially, you know, verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But then what is Jesus doing early on? But, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is his first sermon. You know, he sits down. So 
you know, if you kind of hold your place in, in James, but then if you look back at Matthew, you have the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness. Then Jesus calls his first disciples. And then right after he calls his first disciples, he goes up on the mount and sits down with them. And then he begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is the first sermon that they hear from him. And so you have the Beatitudes and you have some teachings. But then he goes right into the Lord's Prayer. So if you think about this, what is James thinking? Well, perhaps James is thinking Jesus provides the the Lord's Prayer in order to tame the tongue of the people, of, of Christ's people. And so you have all this kind of happening in this text. And then when you get to verse 13, James 3, 13 and following, you have all these things going on in life, right? So what causes us to pray, I guess, would be would be the question. Do we pray because of illness? Yes. Uh, do we pray because of our own internal angst that we sometimes have? We're worried. Um, maybe we're worried about the things going on in our lives and uh, finding a place of contentment, finding uh, a place where we can thrive and so then we think about the things that could hinder our contentment, our peace, that which causes us to thrive. And there's people around us, right? The world is full of evil. So what's the tendency when, uh, if somebody lashes out at us or tries to harm us or hurt us or their dynamics beyond our control, well, we want to fix it. And sometimes when we try to fix it, we could sin. And so we're being cautioned not to let our own inner feelings direct what we do, but tame the tongue. Well, how is the tongue tamed? The tongue is tamed by the Lord's Prayer. And so then he gets into verse 13 and following like in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So what does the Lord's Prayer do? But it directs us to what's above, not to what's around us. Do you see that? Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So don't, in your concerns of life, don't remain here, but look up. And so the Lord's Prayer leads us upward. And so verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, does that sound familiar? Blessed are the peacemakers from the Sermon on the Mount, from the Beatitudes. Yes? It's interesting when you talk about this because I, I always kind of took this uh, as a spring forward from the same opening book, Fresh and Salt Water, in verse 11. Can you there? Um, almost just like a calling out of us being hypocritical. Um, but it makes me think this and then being, you know, from the right changes is that in the only way we can really, we're, we're going to be tempted to be basically hypocritical all the time, like we're going to be cursing and um, kind of like James says, we're tempted um, in the first chapter. But if we're praying, it keeps us from doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, if we continue to pray, it keeps us from, because we can't be blessing God at the same time as cursing him. So I always felt like it was a kind of an indictment on our 
democracy, which is probably part of it. Mm -hmm. It's also an entreaty of prayer, perhaps, to say, if you can't help yourself, but if your mouth is going crazy, it'll at least keep you from an Yes, yes, that's very good. Yeah, I think that's definitely going on there. And, you know, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, so the Lord's Prayer itself, let's see, to jump ahead just a little, let's see, where did I put that? Um, or maybe I didn't put that on here. At any rate, if you look at the, if you go to the third page of the handout to jump ahead just a little bit, the Lord's Prayer itself has this heavenward to earthly perspective because the first petition, the second petition, and the third petition all say thy. So the, the one who prays is looking to heaven, to the heavenly Father, thy, right? So it's, it's this heavenly, you know, this world's, killing me down here. Hey, Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, you know. Hallowed be thy name. And then petitions four, five, six, and seven are our and us. So then it's downward directed. So the structure of the Lord's Prayer is vertical in nature. First go up, then God brings down. And that, I think, is intentional in James chapter 3. You know, James is, is what we call a general epistle or a Catholic epistle, so it's not directed to one specific church, but it's to all the churches. And since it is you know, if Dr. Scare is correct, which I think he probably is, the first New Testament book written in the canon, he, James is leading the churches to think about prayer and where to go in the midst of life's challenges. And so it makes sense then that the Lord's Prayer is such a central part of, of our life here at St. John. And then if you look, so if you look here again at verses 15 and 16, 17 and 18, you have this language of from above. So this verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this word from above is... This, is the same language in John chapter 3 for being born again, being born from above, same thing. So the gifts are heavenly. Um, let's see what else. Oh, and in verse 16, this is interesting, just a little interesting point. For where jealousy and self selfish ambition exist, um, selfish ambition in Greek uh, is... It actually means like party spirit. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so, you know, the sense of party spirit is we choose sides and then we battle according to the sides that, that we choose. And so then we create division. And we do that as a, it's often a human sinful response to our need to survive and thrive and not lose our place, right? We don't want to lose our place in the world. And so party spirit, we choose sides. So the Lord's Prayer 
alters this because it, it by its very nature, dissolves this tendency, right? Because what happens first? If we stop looking heavenward, then we stop looking at the Lord of heaven and earth who does act for us. So then we eventually will, if we, if we stop praying the Lord's Prayer, then eventually we'll, we'll lose that sense that God acts for us. And then we'll look down and, and our gaze will be earthly. And then if our gaze is earthly, then we get to the point where I have to do this on my own. I have to solve my own problems. Oh, and to solve my own problems, I have to protect what's mine, and so I have to rally, and so then I have to strengthen my side, my position, and so now I'm over here, and everybody else is around or over there, and then that's how wars breed. And so the sense of the Lord's Prayer is, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, by its direction of the ours, the thys, and then the ours and us's, it, it really does give us the Jesus perspective of how we live and exist in the world. And as we know, the Lord deals with things in his way and in his time. So the Lord's Prayer helps us with the notion of hope. So we pray that our hope will be strengthened because party spirit, you know, that, what is it in English? Selfish ambition, the selfish ambition or party spirit. I think, you can tell me what you think, but I think that that springs out of a lost sense of hope. We're losing hope, right? I have to protect what's mine because I'm fearful that I'm gonna lose it. And so hope, hope in Greek is elpis, which means to will, to wish, to desire. And it does carry with it a sense of expectation. And so here's an old fable. So Zeus and the Greek philosophers, an old fable tells the story that Zeus gave mankind, humankind, a vessel full of all good things but then the man, filled with curiosity, lifted the lid so that all the good things escaped to the gods. And when the lid was put back, only elpis or hope was trapped, man's present comfort. And then, of course, the Greek philosophers had a different perspective of this, that the sense of hope was only earthly. But in the Old Testament... There's hope for good or there's the fear of evil and condemnation. So in the Old Testament, there's no neutral ground. It's either hope for good or the fear of evil and condemnation. So the Old Testament concept of hope is such that to have hope is to have a future. And this is at work in the deeper conception of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer then is not grasping with uncertainty. Rather, the Lord's Prayer is prayed with a certain knowledge and understanding about the love and mercy of God. To know that you have a future. I mean, think about the world. How many people in our world today, in our country, are feeling like they don't have a future? And a lot of things can cause this, right? Loss of health, loss of very important people in your life, loss of a job, losing, you know, having to move or leave where you're from, where you're, what you're used to. There are a lot of things that can cause a person to lose that sense that they have a future. But we have a future. We have an eternal future, right? And so our hope is eternal. 
But coming out of that also is God is love. So God loves each and every one of you. So he has given you the greatest thing, which is an eternal hope, an eternal future, and you are his baptized. So you are very precious in his sight. And so if you have all of these eternal gifts and all these eternal blessings, then you can also find comfort in the fact that you have a future here. The Lord gives you today and he is going to be with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And he's always going to care for you. And so the Lord's prayer springs out of a, a seeking of the eternal gifts, but then also the gifts for today and tomorrow. So when you think about the Old Testament, go, go to a couple verses here. So we don't lose time. Go to Lamentations chapter 3. This is a beautiful text. So Lamentations, as you know, was, was written by Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jeremiah had a hard time with things. And Lamentations is not a, a, an easy book to read because, you know, hence the title, right? Lamentations, we're lamenting, lamenting a lot of things. And this is, so it's Hebrew poetry. And so I, I can't today get into all the ins and outs of what's going on within the structure of Lamentations. But if you just look at Lamentations, Chapter 1 has 22 verses. Chapter 2 has 22 verses. Chapter 4 has 22 verses. And chapter 5 has 22 verses. But then chapter 3 has 66 verses. So 22 times 3, right? Isn't that interesting? That's got to be purposeful somewhere in the, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, chapter 3 is the middle chapter. So you have 1, 2, you have 4 and 5. And then in the middle is chapter 3. Three times as long as the rest of them. But if you read Lamentations, chapter 3 also has hope in it. So... You know, thinking about the Old Testament perspective of there's either hope for good or the fear of evil. So then take a look at verse 18. So I say, so Lamentations 3.18, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. So if one's hope has diminished, then one's endurance has perished. So, if you can just kind of think about this from Lamentations or from the Old Testament forward, Jesus in giving the Lord's Prayer is taming our tongues, teaching us how to use our tongues, but then the upward perspective also renews our hope so that our endurance doesn't perish. So without the Lord's Prayer, eventually one's hope will diminish and one's endurance in this world will perish. But then he says in verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So see, if you think about it in terms of the Christian life, with or without the Lord's Prayer, only having an earthly gaze, we then think about our affliction, our wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, the soul remembers it. It's, the soul is bowed down from within. 
but this I call to mind. What do we call to mind? We call to mind our Lord's active movement in our lives and in the world. So we think about the incarnation. We think about the coming of Christ. We think about his passion. We think about his death, his resurrection. We think about all that Jesus did and we are encouraged as we pray. So then you get to verse 22. So, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So remembrance, remembrance springs hope. Well, what do we remember? If we're only with an earthly gaze, we remember the afflictions and our troubles. But with the heavenly gaze, we remember God's intercession. And so then in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You can almost hear this in the Lord's prayer, right? The Lord is good to those who wait for him because what happens? You pray your prayers and then you wait. You wait for the answer. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. And then it goes on and on and on. But, you know, you can almost hear this in the Lord's Prayer or reflect upon this theme in the Lord's Prayer. So go to Ephesians 1 verse 12. And actually, we can start at verse, well, boy, it's all so good, isn't it? It's like, you know, he starts off with all the, the stuff about Jesus and his incarnation. So if you just look at Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3, you have this language that, boy, it's all just so connected, isn't it? You know, you, you, start, you, know, you start thinking about one thing and then, it starts like spilling into all the other parts of Scripture, like verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our Father who art in heaven, right? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then if you read down to verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. He makes known to us the mystery of his will in his son. And so, you know, this is, you know, carries into the Lord's prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer, in a sense, is coming to grips with mystery, right? The mystery of everything that's going on in the world and the mystery of how God works. So, you know, this morning when we went before the, the back, into the back chapel to the altar for prayer and we prayed for people that we know and love that are dealing with various issues and cancer and tornadoes and you know, all these various things. And 
These are real and they're difficult. And when you think about cancer, for example, uh, you, th you, you think, oh, where's the, you know, Lord help us, you know, we need some help. And it's, you know, these kinds of things can become very difficult for us. And yet God sustains us in the midst of these things. So, you know, he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and the things on earth. So here you have this vertical heaven and earth again, just like we see embedded in the Lord's Prayer, the thys and the ours and the us's. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So there's hope in the midst of all of these grand mysteries of life. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then he has a thanksgiving and a prayer here in the, at the end of this chapter. And so we think about burdens and troubles. And so at the bottom of page two, there's some, a couple of good uh, scripture verses that relate to this. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So if we just keep looking, and of course, as you know, the Lord's prayer and its placement, and I'll get to this more next week, the Lord's prayer and its placement in the divine service is intentional. So as we say our prayers, we're looking to heaven, but then what's the response? The Eucharist. So the Eucharistic response is the God's downward response to our prayer. We pray all these things and Christ responds by feeding us with his body and his blood. So it's a tangible, this is the beautiful thing about a sacramental perspective, is we don't just say the Lord's Prayer with our upward look and then we just wait looking to heaven, but Christ has an answer and it's immediate. And I'll get to this next week in the sixth and seventh petitions of the Lord's Prayer, but this is how Jesus deals with us and with our prayers. He feeds us with himself, and so he's strengthening us. And so the Christian life between Lord's Prayer and Eucharist becomes a constant cycle of up and down, up and down. And so this is why truly, when we think about the early Christian perspective, there's a place and in that place is where learning happens, mathesis. And then ascasis, practice, how one lives. So the beautiful thing about the Christian life is you have a place, a learning, and a practice. And so the place would be the, the high altar and you learn something at the high altar, and what you learn at the high altar is then how you practice. So the Lord's Prayer is meant to be connected to a Eucharistic life. And so we learn through the Eucharist how to live. So in, this is why part of why St. John Wheaton is the way that it is. We embrace holy mystery. We embrace things 
that haven't been answered yet, the things that exist within the cloud of incense. Because we know that even though we don't have all the answers, we abide in hope because Christ will always supply us and care for us. One thing I, I like about these verses that you were pointing out is that there's a certainty that grace and what we need is there. Like in, uh, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about how um, let us then confidence drive near to the throne of grace. Like the grace is there. There's not a question. We're not having any kind of like this opening um, uh, text you gave from Mark's Trinity. He said, we don't have to ask for it to be created, it's there. Like there's a certainty of it, and like in Lamentations, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And it says, You know, these verses never come to an end, they're new every morning. And in Ephesians, it's like it's predestined, it's already there. And this imagery you're talking about of having to go up and coming back down is because when if we come back down, we're never going to find that. Yeah. And that prayer is what can help us go back up because we're always going to have to be refueled by it. Yeah. But I like how in all these, there's a certainty. And this idea of like, we don't have to ask God to give it to us because it's there for our taking. Yes. How often we're willing to go there to take it. And what's frustrating is we know it's there, but it keeps us from going there more often. You know, what yeah. nature, I don't know, like, why, why is it so hard to do that? Yeah. It would be a natural thing that we would, when we need water, we go and get lots of water. Yeah. It's here for our taking. What keeps us from doing that? Is that just sin? Right. It is. I think it's, yeah, there's like, it's, it's the world, right? Like Luther says in the catechism, you know, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, you know? It's just like the weight of evil in the world sometimes just is like a chain that pulls us, you know, pulls us down. And so the scriptures themselves are so beautiful. Like when it, um, there's a there's a there's a Greek word, um, katasqueadzo, and uh, katasqueadzo is used for um, when John the Baptist prepares the road, prepares the road for Jesus. It's this word. Um, when the ark is built, Noah's ark. This is the word that's used. When the temple is built, this is the word that's used. It's used in Hebrews for the temple, the building of the temple. And there's this, so it, it carries with it this very careful fashioning of the, of the way, the road, the ark. Um, and so this is your way. You know, it's, it's not just any old way. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, somebody just, it's not like God just took things and just threw them together, but like embedded in this. So I'll shift to Hebrew. So um, to fashion the, the, uh, the temple uh, is a form of wisdom in Hebrew. And the word in Hebrew is hakam. And what hakam is, is it's like, I've mentioned this before, I think, it's the word for skilled craftsmen or artisans. So it's, it's got, it has beauty to it. They're making beautiful things. They're using great care. They're fashioning and preparing everything. And so this fashioning is, is skilled care. It's, it's artistry. It's beautiful. It has meaning. It shapes and forms one's life. And so this is all sort of being brought into the notion of what it means to be a Christian. And if there's any doubt, um, so then the ark itself, back to Noah's ark, is kibotus in Greek, 
which means a treasure chest. So the ark is a treasure chest. So that which fat is fashioned is a treasure chest. So this is what you have been brought into. So the church is a treasure chest and you are the treasure. So everything then that comes out, you know, the Lord's prayer and then God's response, there is great care to all of this. And so, you know, when you think about a life, um, you know, where we're dealing with illnesses and cancer or job losses, um, the uncertainty of the world and what's going on, um, dealing with the aging process, you know, you name it, Christ has an answer and he's gonna comfort your soul and he's gonna strengthen you and he's gonna renew your hope as we see in these texts, he acts, Jesus acts and he will sustain you, he's changing you, he's shaping you and he's shaping you through the answered prayers but he's also shaping you through the unanswered prayers. You know, answered prayers were like, okay, we're good, let's keep going, you know, let's go. But it's the unanswered prayers where you go sit in the corner for a minute and you're like, you scratch your chin and you're like, what's going on here, right? And what does that do? But it causes you to look around more. Well, okay, you're looking at the world and you're going, what's going on here? What's with suffering? What's with trouble? What's with question marks? But see, then the Lord's prayer is meant for you in the midst of those question marks to lead you back upward and then lead you back to the Eucharist. And then it becomes, so you're in this cycle. So the, it's, you know, it's very interesting. Like the Eucharist is so important for these unanswered things where you're like, what's going on? Because Christ is shaping us in that Christian virtue of endurance. And as you know, from things you've endured, you become different. A person who endures things of the world apart from Christ ends up one way, right? But a person who endures the things of life, but with the things of Christ, is shaped differently. And that's how, when you look at the course of life and the course of people, how do, how do some, you know, you think about, you know, there's Christians that have been Christians forever and ever and ever, like you've known them forever and they're like in their 80s, 90s, whatever. And there's such a, a bulwark, right? They're so uh, encouraging to be around. Well the Lord has shaped them, you know, through even the unanswered prayers. So at any rate, now next week's gonna be even more fun because we're, actually, we're gonna get into the structure of the Lord's Prayer in the Greek, which is fascinating. Yes? This has given me a whole new look at this magnet that's on my refrigerator. <laughs> Actually, a quote from Emerson. Oh. And it's, sorrow looks back, worry looks around, but faith looks up. Oh, there you go. That's nice. It's really nice. Um, and I, I think if you're looking, I would add to it looking down is pride. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. But uh, well, I'm going to make sure that magnet's in more problem. That's a good, yeah, that's good. Emerson. Good. All right. So at any rate, uh, yes, Donna. I really like the reference to Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 1. Maybe we should read those every day. Those are great texts. Yeah, those are great texts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if you're able, come back next week and we'll get into the Greek structure of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, let's... Uh, Let's close with the collect for the, first sun, for the first week in Advent. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins 
and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.